Welcome to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast, connecting you to the leading minds in home improvement to discuss all things marketing and leadership. And now, your host, Kyle Powers. Welcome to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Powers. I have an awesome guest for the listeners today. He has spent nearly three decades in the home improvement industry and is currently the owner of a very successful one-day bath business in suburban Connecticut. He is also a well-established consultant in this industry where he consults on sales and sales methodology. I'd like to welcome to the show, John Anglis. Hello, John. Yes, sir. How are you doing today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing well myself. Hey, really excited to have you on the podcast today uh, to talk about a huge topic that uh, you know I get asked a lot from not only my clients but you know seminars and shows and all that kind of different stuff is accountability and how to hold your people accountable um, to assist them to a process and ultimately you know the numbers they need to hit to make business profitable. Uh, so welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. I'm honored to have been asked. Uh, and real quick, you know, for the listeners, uh, maybe a little bit of background, who you are and, uh, and what you do, John. Yeah, um, my name is John Anglis. Um, I got into the home improvement industry by accident when I was 17 back in 91. My then girlfriend, uh, future wife, told me about telemarketing where you can make $6.10 an hour plus bonus as opposed to the $5 an hour minimum wage, you know, restaurant type jobs. So, you know, quick run through, I was a telemarketer and I didn't realize I was any good at it. And then uh, within, I think it was nine months, I graduated high school and became the company I was working for's first full-time telemarketing manager. And then uh, at 19, about to be married and a baby on the way, I needed more money. So I all but begged my manager or the owner to let me sell. And uh, he didn't think I could because I, you know, I looked 13, even though I was 19. But when he, he reluctantly let me go sell, I think I remember selling eight in a row and found I was pretty good at it. And then uh, within a year of that, I had an entrepreneurial seizure thinking I would know how to run a business. And uh, just because you can sell doesn't mean you can run a business. So I lost that business. I think I had 18 jobs in a period of 18 months trying to find that six-figure job without a college degree at 21, 22 years old. And uh, I ended up starting Carefree in the year 2000. My very supportive wife went through hell when we lost our first business and had all the confidence in me to try again. I thought I, after everything I'd learned, I could, I could do it again. And uh, here we are now, still in business, and uh, I think we run a, a great business. And, and, and what is Carefree, John? Carefree Home Pros does uh, one-day bathroom models, and uh, we started out doing windows and siding, you know, gutter protection, some roofing, and a handful of years ago, we you know, got into the bath business and really liked it. So that became our primary focus. And, uh, yeah, here we are today. I think we, we started carefree, uh, I think 2000, 2001 were only half million dollar years with me doing everything. And, um, now we're, we did about 6.3 last year. Uh, we were on pace to far surpass that this year, but we decided to close down for a couple months for safety reasons due to the virus, but we're back at it. And, uh, having record months and you know, we're excited about 2021. 
All right. And then on top of Carefree, you also run a, another business uh, when it comes to um, selling and consulting on that. Um, and, and how long have you been doing that? Yeah, well, I, I was reached out to by a friend who, who worked with me. He, he started his own business, but you know we were friends, so he worked at Carefree while he got his company started. So we were consulting together. My, my main thing for, for the consulting practice is only to make available what I'm doing successfully. And at that time in my career, 2011, I was really, you know, I was a top producing salesperson, but, you know, not, not much for business advice. So I stuck to that. But through the years, as I learned how to be a better businessman, I learned, you know, again, your topic of accountability, I learned how to be a team player. I learned how to be a general instead of just a soldier. My consulting practice has expanded to business mentorship. Um, you know, still sales, things like that. But uh, yeah, so far so good. I got clients all over the country in Canada, so uh, and uh, South America. So I think I think that might make me international now. There you go, international John. <laughs> um, and so, getting towards the the topic today of accountability, uh, with starting that off, can you maybe talk about? I know in our pre-call we were talking about kind of the journey of, you know the school of hard knocks, right? Learning uh, oh, yeah. from trial and error and, and, and failure and, and failing forward, as I like to call it. Uh, so talk about maybe that evolution of your business of no accountability and the reasons why you couldn't have accountability and then into kind of what it looks like today. Well, I think in a nutshell, um, the people who start a business are usually really good at a thing. And in my case, I was, you know, I was, you know, very good telemarketer. I was good on the phone and I knew how to sell. So at the end of the day, you kind of think, all right, well, I got that. I could, I could start a business. The only problem is, is that a business means that there are other people doing other tasks that you don't have to do. And if you don't know how to share and how to easily train what makes you good at what you do, that puts you on what I call a hamster wheel. And then a lot of people, you know, I got very frustrated with people who couldn't do what I could do, even when I trained them. So, it, you know, I, I beat my head against the wall. I think my breakthrough year, what I call my breakthrough year, didn't happen until 2015. I started Carefree in 2000. And it was just one person after another. And then people are terrible. People stink. Where is that person who's, you know, who, where's the magic man or woman that could, that could take me to the next level? And what I didn't realize is that magic, man needed to be me i just didn't know how to do it absolutely so then uh you know again going through i think i made the dean's list for several years in a row on the in the school of hard knocks um and then little by little you know i, I started to gain some momentum and like i said 2015 was my breakthrough year and since then we haven't looked back and I uh, had the pleasure of coming out and, and working inside of your business for a few days, uh, you know, with your events manager. And that was the one thing that I kind of really saw in your business that I liked was kind of the process that you had uh, for meeting with your managers, you know, holding them accountable. They knew exactly what they had to do, when they had to do it. And, you, you know, you tasked them with going out and doing it. And they still had their freedom. They certainly weren't micromanaged. Um, but they were held accountable and that's, uh, you know, your growth. I mean, you know, 6.3 million, I believe is what you said in just bath. That that's a lot of baths, you know, to be yeah, in one, pretty much one state. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, so in our pre-call, you had talked a little bit about that in, in those early days in that school of hard knocks that, 
it was hard for you to hold people accountable because of um, being organized. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, at the end of the day, I'll give you an example. I had a salesperson who we brought on who I thought was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made, one of the worst hires I ever made. I won't get into the damage it, it, it cost, but his NSLI was $5,000. And, and for the listeners that may call it something different, what is NSLI? Net sale per lead issued. So if you divide the net sales by the leads that are issued to the salesperson, you find out how much revenue they bring back every time you give them a lead. So going to a, a seminar uh, at one point, I think a year prior, I learned what that was. So $5,000, that's pretty damn good. But because my pricing model wasn't what it was supposed to be, he was selling at a loss. So where my business was a million dollar a year business, he sold 323000 in one month. And then the next month he did like two hundred and fifty. I thought I found Jesus of sales. Uh, next to me, of course, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, when jobs start getting installed, we're not making money. So again, you know, it's, it's, it's not just, um, saying we need to do a hundred thousand a month. We need to do why? Well, cause it sounds like a pretty good number and it's 50,000 more than I, you literally, you have to know what your pricing model is. You have to know what your numbers are. The numbers that you're asking for have to make sense for your business so that they can make sense for your people so that you know what you need to track and measure so that you can get those results. But if you're, if you're disorganized as I was and you're throwing numbers for numbers sake and your employees start to realize this is impossible, I'm never going to hit this. Then they do enough to not get fired. Then you put pressure on them. Then they resent you. And then you have a bad hire who should have been let go a long time prior and you got all kinds of glass door and crazy online reviews and stealing, you know, they don't bring back your sample kit. They don't return the iPad. And then you think, boy, these people are a-holes. When in reality, you got to look in the mirror, you know, what was my part in the disintegration of that relationship? And I think it's a lack of organization. At least it was in my case. Right. And I, I see that a lot. I mean, one of my favorite, uh, you know, quotes to myself that I say a lot is that, uh, you know, as a leader, you get what you create or you allow. And when I go out to visit a lot of clients, um, you know, that aren't hitting numbers. Um, in, in fact, I, I just wrote a, a blog article on, uh, you know, tips, you know, for profitability, you know, in a business, if I, if I could share kind of one, you know, pathway on that. And that was, you know, the fact to essentially have a plan, you know, execute that plan and then hold accountable to that plan. And, and that's what I see that even the best companies that spend all this time on putting a plan together and, and putting all these numbers out there and possibly their team understands those numbers and they communicate them, they usually fail on that last part, which is then holding those representatives, their managers, and then the managers holding their teams accountable to making sure that those numbers get hit. Uh, because you had made a statement uh, earlier when we were chatting, you know, about that your systems and processes, this is how we do it, this is how we do it. But when in actuality, you don't do it that way, that becomes your real process. Can you talk about that a little bit, John? Yeah, I mean, if you look at, which I'm not a fan of, I, I banned the NFL this year. But um, when I was watching football, an epiphany that I had was you take the worst the worst team in football or any sport 
And when they fire the manager and bring in a new manager, what's the manager's job? To win the Super Bowl, to win a championship. Now, if the manager goes to the owner and gives the manager all the reasons why, it's just, it can't happen. I don't have the right people. I don't have the, I don't, what does the owner do? The owner of the team doesn't go and coach unless his name is Jerry Jones. The owner then says, well, I guess what you're saying is that you can't win. So they got to go and somebody else has to come in. So I think what happens is the, the reason that I had a hard time holding people accountable is that even though you had some sort of a loose idea of what the plan was or what a system was, I spent so much time micromanaging everybody that that became the meeting. So if I'm working with you, Kyle, you know, and I'm, I'm micromanaging and micromanaging and micromanaging, I mean, what are we meeting about? I spent all kinds of time with you. I'm trying to will your success. But what a lot of uh, what I didn't realize at the time was that by doing that, I was clipping the wings of the people that could actually take their department or take that position where it needed to go. They figured no matter what they did, it was wrong. John's going to stick his nose in. I'm just going to sit back and wait for him to tell me what to do. And again, that develops an animosity in that relationship, and it never ends well. So what I needed to do was I needed to be able to establish what my numbers were and why. You know, what's profitability? Have the right pricing model. You know, and then come up with what the closing percentage or a lead per hour or installs per, you know, whatever the department had to be. I had to set that benchmark. I had to sell the why of that benchmark to the people I hired so that they knew it was believable. And then after training them on the process, let them do their job. Now, what we do in Connecticut is we have meetings every Wednesday with our management team. So we'll start at 8.30 in the morning with the production manager. And with that meeting, I'm learn, uh, you know, for example, our employee installers, they have to install three jobs a week. So in that meeting, my uh, production manager knows John's going to be looking for three installs per employee inst installer. Guess what happens if there's only two? Well, John, just so you know, the reason we only had two was because, and this is what I did to fix it. Another example of what's on that agenda is we need a gross profit of 55%, which for me is after material labor commission. So part of our process is we're on market sharp and every Tuesday he gets a report. And in that report, it shows each installer, each job, all the costs. And all I got to do is look all the way to the right. That job's not above 55% at or above 55%. If it is, it's in green. If it's within 90% of that, it's in yellow. And if it's below 90% of that number, it's in red. So guess what the production manager does when he comes to the Wednesday meeting? Well, John, as you can see, nine out of those 10 jobs were above where they're supposed to be, at which point he gets recognition. But this one's low because we miscut a wall. But don't worry. What I'm going to do is, and I already spoke to, so when your management team or yours, depending how big your company is, right, my management team comes in, in my case, they know what I'm looking for. They know the numbers are achievable. So they actually come to the meetings knowing what's right, knowing what's wrong, and they've already begun the process of solving their problem. Now, I'm a Godfather fan. That allows me to be the consigliere where I can now say, well, can I ask you a question? Did, did you actually consider this? Ooh, that's a great idea. I mean, I'm not telling you what to do, but it seems to me that if you – you see what I mean? So that allows me to make suggestions, but that also gives 
my management team the freedom to solve their own problems. Now they're doing so much more than just enough not to get fired. And if not for that type of environment, that culture, I couldn't hire top producers. I couldn't develop top producers. I couldn't keep top producers. I couldn't only work one day a week and I couldn't make the kind of money I'm making, nor could I provide the opportunity for the team members to improve their lives as well, because I believe I'm in the people development business. That's what makes everything grow. Absolutely. And so uh, that was one of the key things that I noticed when I came out to your business was that once a, uh, a week meeting that you have with each one of your managers, you don't have it just with your production manager, you have a sales manager, you have it with your call center manager, events manager, yep. you know, and, and, and the like, and they're all coming to that meeting, you know, with their numbers that they know clearly they need to hit. And, uh, you know, essentially a quick breakdown, what you're saying is, you know, if they're not hitting those numbers, they're also bringing to you why they're not hitting those numbers and what they have done to remedy that. So next time they're going to be hitting those numbers. And that really, I feel allows, you know, a leader, a manager in your business to really own their department. Uh, cause what I see so often is that, you know, I'll go out and visit businesses and it's, it's all on one guy, whether that is the marketing manager, whether that's the owner, uh, depending on the size of the business, but essentially it's that person making sure everything gets done in, in essentially micromanaging and essentially don't have other managers. You do have someone that's a manager, but that's just the first person that that person is, is, is telling what to do and how to do it. And what ends up happening in the long run is there's no accountability for that person because he simply says, well, I just was doing what you told me to do and it didn't work. It's your problem, not mine. Correct. And the other, the other disadvantage of that style is, for example, if I tell my production manager that I want 55% gross profit which is the profitability after we account for material, labor, and commission. If he comes in and it's at even 52% and I don't acknowledge it, and when he doesn't acknowledge it, I don't acknowledge it, then what I'm really saying is that that doesn't matter. Now imagine you take your sales department. In sales, you got your, your opportunity rate, which is how many issued appointments turn into presentations, your demo closing rate, your retention rate, how many sales stick versus cancel within three days. Those are all numbers. Now, if I have benchmarks, this is what I expect. But then when I meet with, now again, depending on who's listening, if you are the sales manager in your business as an owner, or if you're a sales manager in general, when you're meeting with your sales people or individual sales people, and you don't bring that up, what you're basically saying is those are just that's just window dressing. That doesn't really mean anything. And then what happens is six months down the line, when the numbers are not there, meaning there's no money in the bank account, then the owner gets all kinds of pressure. Then the owner slaps down on the salespeople for those very numbers that he'd been ignoring or she'd been ignoring for the last six months. Then the employee resents it. Then there's a bad relationship. Then the people leave. And again, they're doing everything they can to get back at you because they've been holding it in this, you know, during that stressful time. The key is not to get to that volcano. The key is to know what your numbers are, have regular meetings for plan and review, and those numbers that you actually publicize as this is what I want, you better ask about them. Because if you don't, what you're really doing is telling your people, it doesn't really matter. Right, we want and you then, to get 10, you only got seven, we're not gonna talk about it because that's a tough conversation, so now the new number becomes seven. Right. 
And then if I don't bring – that's brilliant. You're exactly right. And then if I don't bring up seven and it's five, then it becomes five. Next thing you know, it's – I guess numbers really don't matter. Now people are coming to work to just collect the check. Then the owners resent the employee for doing just enough when they're the ones who created that. that and again, I'm not trying to cast an aspersion on everybody, but as a businessman, that's what I did. And as a consultant, that's what I see clients doing. And, you know, we got to take accountability for that. And I the, did. Yeah, absolutely. The other um, part you mentioned in there was plan and review. Um, and that is something that I know you utilize. That's something definitely uh, at Tony Hody Training and Consulting that we utilize. Uh, it's what I we train. I learned from Tony Hody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, something that we, you know, teach and, and recommend to any manager that we onboard, you know, about running their teams is having that, you know, weekly or biweekly uh, plan and review session where you're discussing, you know, numbers to goals and things like that. Um, and for some reason, it is, I feel, one of the hardest things for managers to keep doing. They'll do it and they do good. And the next thing you know, because I think it's a, it's a time thing, but I also think, as we had brought up just a couple minutes ago, it's a tough conversation sometimes when they're not hitting numbers and have to give back to them again what the expectation is, what you expect of them, and hold them accountable to that. Um, and if you can do that and just start, I mean, for the listener that's out there, uh, you know, today listening to this podcast, you know, clearly defining what the role, what the numbers and the expectations are, but then having that consistent plan and review session with the marketers, uh, or the salespeople or production, you know, all sides of the call center, any of it, you know, to, to hold them accountable to that uh, can make a huge difference in your business just by implementing that plan and review session and starting to get a control on what is happening in the business. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And the biggest tip, I think, overall to what you just said is that owners need to be the example. They need to be the model of the sales manager they would want to have and they need to be the model of the production manager they want to have and what i mean by that is depending on what the business is there are certain responsibilities i have now my job at carefree is general manager and i've been able to work that position to a one day a week scenario right where i work in the business and the rest of the time again i work on it or i go on vacation or i consult or whatever i do whatever i want which is kind of the point but what I'm getting at is I am as accountable to my sales manager as my sales manager is to me. And if I don't live up to my accountability or expectation of me to him, he's not going to do it with his salespeople, my production manager to his installation technicians, my marketing manager to, to their representatives. So that's really the key thing is that owners have a tendency, and I was this guy. For thee, not for me. If you really are going to have a, this is how we do things here, then owners, I do this at my company. I am just as accountable. It's my job to give my people the tools they need to succeed. That includes whether it's recruiting systems, whether it's an online training platform where there's videos of me training, you know, the 10-step selling system that my manager plays for his salespeople. Right To make it easier for him to train our recruiting system, to make it easier for him to actually learn and, and know how to bring the right people in. It's my job to give 
him or her the tools they need to succeed. And then they will then in turn give their people the tools they need. And if you've done all of that and they can't do it, because here's the deal. There's two reasons why a manager or a company is not going to run well. They're, the people that are working the departments are either not trained well, right, or, they, or they're not the right person, to, right? So, yep. and, when it, and, if, and if you can find out that they're – I know I can give you an example. I have an online training platform. I've got posters all over my office about what the numbers need to be. Reports come in accurately every single week. We have plan and review meetings. So if I have reasonable confidence that I've done my part and I'm not getting the results from my salesperson, to me, it's either aptitude or effort. Because many people have the aptitude, they're just not putting forth the effort. There's yep. a whole other conversation Agreed. I can have. Yep. Separate Agreed. podcast about that. <laughs> but if it turns out, you know, this is foolish because I know this person can do it, but they're not. First thing I'm going to do is look in the mirror. Did I do everything in my power? Yes. And if I believe I have, okay, then it's, it's, it's no effort. The fastest way to lose a great employee is to tolerate a bad one. Absolutely. Say, that, say that again. Say that one more time. The fastest way to lose a great employee is to tolerate a bad one. And to keep people employed because of what you think they can do is the, one of the biggest mistakes I made in the past and that I see a lot of people making today. Agreed. There is a, a couple of uh, points that I want to touch on and get your feedback on, John. The first thing is you talked about being, um, you know, you as accountable to your sales manager as your sales manager is accountable to you. So essentially what you're saying is leading by example. You know, you said be that sales manager that you want your sales manager to be. Um, and that's one of the key things, uh, you know, that I see a lot when I go out there is, yes, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. But you have multiple people in the organization that maybe don't do it that way. You know, maybe a lower level manager that says, no, 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 no. I know you just learned this, but don't quite do it because this way works a little better. And what I, you do, Kyle, speaks so loudly that your employees can't hear what you're saying. Absolutely. And so what I have said uh, a lot of times on that, that whole lead by example, that as a manager or leader in the business, um, and I'm going to gear this towards specifically towards lead, lead generation. So let's say we're out there at an event generating a lead and you have a system and a process that's set up for the way that you do that, that as a manager, if you, it would be better for you to not get that lead than to get that lead because you went off the system to get it. Because Absolutely. now, yes, and I'll do another one is, is if you actually follow the system, you'll probably get the lead anyway correct. and set a better example. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but you are right. You can't, that, that, you can't set up a do as I, as I say, not as I do. And one of the biggest pieces of advice I give to anybody that wants to listen, like when they go run leads, I never told customers that I was the owner. If I was at a home show, training somebody how to get leads. I never said I was the owner. I never said I was the manager because now what you're doing is you're saying to your salesperson, you're not the manager or the owner rather. So you, you, you don't have that close in your arsenal, which tells your person, your, your salesperson that the system really doesn't work. That's why I was saying what you do speaks so loudly. If you're that confident that the system works, then you need to be that promoter you want to have. 
if you're the promotions manager. If you're a telemarketing manager, you have to be the telemarketer that you would like to have working for you by following the system. So I, I agree with you. You probably shouldn't get the lead at all, but I'm going to change it and say if you had just followed the system, you probably would have gotten that lead and more and Agreed. would have set a, a, a great example for posterity in the process. Yep. And the, and the second part that I wanted to touch on uh, with accountability here in this conversation is that the way that, you know, when you do your uh, accountability meetings, your one-on-ones once a week, mm-hmm. uh, same thing I used to do with my uh, managers on my team, you know, once, twice a week, try to, you know, do that uh, accountability meeting. Uh, so it's consistent and everything. And when you are, you know, giving them ideas or you your profitability, for example, that it has to be at this number. And so at the end of the day, we need managers and leaders that believe, first of all, it can get done. So what I always had told my managers was, hey, look, I'm going to say, you know, I need X to happen you know, a certain amount of lead set or, or whatever it is, depending on, you know, is it sales, is it marketing, is it production? Uh, but if that leader doesn't think it can be done, we need to discuss that right away. Because at the end of whatever that period is, them coming back and say, well, it didn't get hit because I knew it wouldn't get hit, but that's what you wanted. So we tried and we didn't get it. That, that's not an acceptable, you know, ending no. to that. And so as we're working towards that goal, towards that number, at any one time, if they feel they're not able to hit it because maybe the resources they needed to hit it aren't available or they need outside help or whatever it may be, it is their duty, their job to come back to me and say, hey, this is what's going on. You know, just like you said, right, we didn't hit it here. Here's why. Here's what I'm doing to fix it. Uh, but we have to have that open line of communication. And I think that's that first step for people is to allow that communication to happen because I think so many managers are afraid to go back to, you know, their, you know, their boss or their owner and say, you know, hey, we, you know, we failed, but but here's what we're doing. And so, you know, I used to say to everybody, hey, you know what, you, there's probably going to be a time where you mess up or you fail. We're, we're all human. It's, it's going to happen. And you know what's going to happen to you if you do that? And they just kind of look at me and they say, well, we're going to have a conversation just like we're having right now. Um, and so kind of setting that stage that, hey, we're all going to work towards this goal, but we got to, you know, just at the end of the day, not hitting it and, and not, you know, doing any of the steps in between to make sure that it happens and coming back to me and, and, and letting me know where you're at so I can help you get to that point. Um, I think that's something similar is what you're doing in your in your one on one meetings. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think one of the things, like I said, is 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 the consistency and to start with why. So a quick example, last, what was it, two weeks ago, I was in uh, Naples, Florida. My wife and I rented a house for a couple of weeks and we're having our Wednesday meeting. And I find out from the marketing manager that he wants, he, he lowered the demos per hour that we expect a, a, some, a telephone operator to get a demo every so many hours. And I said, where did you come up with that number? Um, and he says, well, I really want, I don't know, I forget the number, but let's say it's two and a half. I really want a demo every two and a half, but I'm asking for a demo every two. So I came back into that. I said, okay, does anybody in your department do that number? Whatever that number was. He says, no, does the top person in the room do that? No. Do you do that? No. So it sounds like you're setting your people up to fail then. Right. Because, right. Because if there's no confidence in the two, 
the next thing you know, they're going to naturally fall into maybe the two and a half or 2.6 or 2.7 and little by little it gets worse. So to your point, the numbers that get set, there has to be those expectations, but they've got to be realistic so that you're not, and I don't mean realistic like easy. That's not what realistic means. Right. But, you know, you know, you throw out your top performer. Let's say that's an outlier. You throw out your bottom performer. That's an outlier. What's the meat of that department doing, whichever department it is? Maybe that's where you begin to set your number. And then if you do that and then you have your regular plan and review meetings, what we do in Connecticut is little by little that number goes down or up depending on what the metric is. We started with an NSLI of like 2250. We're now wanting 3075 and every year we end up higher than what the goal was for the year. Because we you know we're able to track and measure and and, and work on certain things and focus on certain things. Right? We can track and measure gets accomplished. So, yeah. Yeah, and the other danger is if you set a number too high that people feel is unachievable and then you're constantly pushing towards that and they're never hitting it, uh, you know, eventually you burn people out and people leave because they feel they cannot or will not do, you know, what you're asking of them. So they just move on and you're potentially losing a, a you know, a good, you know, marketer or salesperson because your numbers are unrealistic. Well, when you, you are exactly right. And in my example with my marketing manager, and I love him because, again, he's, he's soaks all this stuff up, you know, to, to try to become a better leader, a better manager. But when you ask for an, un, um, an unachievable goal that people deem unrealistic, they're likely not going to tell you. And what happens is you lose trust capital, right? Every time you do something that your team can get behind, you, it's like putting money in a bank account. You earn trust capital. And every time you make a mistake, you write a check against that trust capital. And you got to hope that when you make a mistake and you write that check, there's enough money left. Because if it bounces, you are correct. You're losing that potential top producer. So one way that you're going to write a huge check before you might even have enough money to cover it of trust capital is by setting unrealistic goals that nobody's modeled the behavior of. Yep. And that, that's a very good point. Absolutely. Well, John, that kind of uh, brings us to um, the ending segment of the show called Power's Powerful Point. Uh, what powerful point do you have for the listeners today? Very simple is, is read. And I know that sounds silly, but one of the reasons I went through many years of the School of Hard Knocks was on a disc personality profile. I'm a very high D, high sense of self. I'm a producer. I'm a soldier. I'm a competitor. I can figure it out all on my own. Um, right now I can probably say I'm about as good as the mentorship I've surrounded myself with, uh, whether it be Tony Hody or Brian Kay and, and some other people in this business, um, that I, that I've, you know, gotten to know and the books that I've read. So the two books that I recommend that really made an impact, first book made an impact on me was the E-Myth. I talk about that all the time. Great book. Um, yeah, the E-Myth basically explains why, which is a great, great word, but it begins why uh, you want to know what your numbers are, what the impact on your life it can be. Um, that book uh, single-handedly almost put me out of business, but it also is the reason I'm able to have this discussion I'm having. So I think a sub-point on that is it's not reading the book and getting the information. It's the implementation. So reading a book and having the knowledge is fantastic, but, but I am, I, this is what made a difference in my life. 
is when I read a book or I learn something on a podcast, whatever, my job is to implement it as quickly as possible to gain real world experience. Because in that way, you're going to have a whole nother set of bumps and bruises as you perfect that tip that you learned. So instead of reading one book and then another book and then another book and then another book and knowing the information, I will tell you right now, the biggest problem that anybody has that I have was implementation. So if I may give this advice, when you read a book and you take notes and there's some things in there that you think are great, instead of putting those notes away and reading the next book, because if you're a competitor, you're also trying to read as many books as possible to brag about how many books you read. But what I like to do is I read a book. If I make notes that make a lot of sense, I will not read another business book until I've implemented every last drop into my business. I might read a history book to keep my mind occupied in between when I'm not working. But once I implement everything that I read in that book into my business and I start seeing some of the results, then I go on to the next business book. Kyle, by doing that, I have put the business and, and me out of it instead of having to be in it on steroids. So I think that's my powerful tip is not just read, but actually implement what you learn before you read the next book. That'll have a huge impact on, on, uh, on your business, I believe. It did in mine. And I think that's a great, powerful point for the listeners. So, John, I, I thank you so much for being on the show today. And as you said, there's many offshoot topics that we could have probably multiple podcasts with. So hopefully look forward in the future to doing a few more with you. Uh, with that, and, and John, if, if anybody's uh, inquiring about the systems and processes that you, know, that you use that is, has made accountability easier for you, your team, you know, sales management, and those processes, how might they get a hold of you? Um, you could reach me at, uh, John at John com. That's J O H N A N G L I S. Um, we have a website that's, uh, John com. So those are two great ways to, uh, get a hold of me if you have any questions or love to chat about anything. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing what you're going to continue to do with your business as we come out of the back end of this, uh, pandemic. It's been my pleasure. Again, I'm, I'm honored that you asked. You have a great day, John. You too, Kyle. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast. For a free consultation on how Tony Hody Training and Consulting can assist with your home remodeling business, please visit TonyHody.com. That's T-O-N-Y-H-O-T-Y.com. Thank you for listening.